Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Church in Your Head podcast. Thank you again for listening to us and taking time out of your day. Uh, I know these aren't very long, but we try to keep them condensed so it could be uh, meaty. And hopefully as you're listening to this while driving, um, you'll be able to take away some good content. And um, today we're excited about talking. Uh, I know, Brandon, we've talked about this a lot, uh, you know, the word apostasy. And yes, what we're trying to, we want to really convey a little bit, or I guess elaborate more on is the church in which, you know, when it was established, we talked about this in our prior shows, you know, the church being undivided. We have the, you know, seven ecumenical councils in which they determined and decided what was doctrine. Um, you know, what if they were, you know, ultimately wrong? You know, what if they were more of just a glorified Bible study? What do the implications mm-hmm. look like? You know, we can't look back at that time period and we can't look at those um, church fathers and, and the church at the time. We merely have to take kind of what they attempted and their best efforts and run with it, um, which leads to all sorts of different crazy ideas on, on how you determine what is truth now. Um, but right. we want to get into this. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the bishops that we covered last time regarding um, having actual authority right? Authority that we can lean on for the final say when it comes to, you know, what scripture interpretation uh, is correct, uh, even what the canon is. Uh, the idea that, that Christ established this authority to be outside of us, to guard the truth for us. And now, though, what if we somewhere, I mean, I know a lot of organizations say that, oh, well, yeah, the this church that you're talking about, it ended up going astray. And yeah. well, what are the implications if the church at some point in time, let's say all the bishops, we talked about bishops as, yes, yeah, some bishops do uh, become apostate. Uh, some bishops uh, are heretical. And what if this, that happened to all of them? And somewhere along the way, somebody had to go pick up the pieces. Well, unfortunately, when we go that route, we all end up essentially reconstructing it uh, either with, with scholars around us who will go to to be like, hey, uh, what was the right Bible canon? You know, what, what are the right books that should be in here? What's the right doctrines? And we kind of end up going to the smartest people instead of actually going to the church, because the church, if you take this presupposition, it went astray. It went into error and it can no longer be trusted. Any of the leaders, they can't be trusted. Yeah. So we default to the scholars now. And if you think about an analogy of uh, like uh, archaeologists studying dinosaur bones, well, what, what happens, right? They end up, they, they're digging up different bones and they're kind of looking together and like, okay, I think this goes together here. And I think this is probably what the dinosaur looked like, right? They, they, they draw all the pictures for us and they say, oh, look, this is this is a new one we discovered. And, and look, this is what we're going to call it. And we've constructed it all this way. That's kind of what we end up doing with the church when we're, you know, listeners on might not say, you know, that, that it went extinct, but because of the fact that they went into error, they need to go to these scholars and the ultimate, we talk about the intellect becomes one's final uh, way to just know truth now, right? You, you have to find the smartest person because there's no longer a divine institution. It's just Who's the smartest person that can tell me their best bet or best, you know, take of what the church actually is now and who I should trust with my salvation? Yeah. 
it becomes almost like, you know, I think about the a class I took in high school. It was on debates and it was really around just how you can be the most persuasive and, and using the best, you know, your best take using, you know, facts and, and how you present um, in terms of getting people to agree on your side or your position. <clears throat> and so obviously there were many people in the class that weren't very good at articulating and arguing for their stance and therefore they would generally lose the debate. But I do remember one gentleman who was just very good with his words. Uh, did his research and, and was able to present really good arguments. And more or less, people that just listened to this person speak kind of just grafted towards that side and just agreed with the position he was kind of, you know, confirming and standing on. And this is what we talk about when you when you talk about the intellect being what we say the highest faculty. This goes in opposition to where when you look at the early church, they, they treated this as, as more of a divine revelation or, or what we would even call the noose in which the faculty isn't just in your brain. Um, it's it's more about a revelation and what was being received outside of you objectively. And so I think a good practical example, we, we I hate to pick on our, our dear friends, the Mormons, but I think it makes the most sense when we when we all kind of look at the, the scenario in which, uh, you know, Mormon again comes to your door and, and their whole claim is that there, there was an apostate. There was some kind of like deviation where they would give credence to the early days in which, you know, okay, there was a Christian faith, uh, but it went off astray and, and completely gone. And, and so there was a time where there, you know, whether it was a blackout period or some kind of, you know, moment of, of decades or millennia in which there was really no Holy Spirit and everyone's just kind of in disarray. There had to be some kind of one person who restored that church. That's the argument they're coming at us, right? They're going to say that to make the claim that they have the, the true church, the true truths, and even the true doctrines, the true interpretations of scripture. But as even in the evangelical world, aren't, aren't they doing the same thing? Yes. Yeah. And that's what I realized. I mean, I would have, you know, in my journey of faith, you know, in, in, in kind of moving from a Pentecostal background, you know, into a more of a classical Protestant uh, position uh, before, you know, coming under a conciliar bishop. Uh, yeah, I would have these debates with Mormons and and I would I would be, you know, showing them my proof text and they'd be showing them uh, me theirs. And they'd be like, look, this is, you see how this, our position is clear in scripture. And I'd say, well, well, my position is clear in scripture. And we're still leaving with both sides frustrated. And it's, it's, you're still stuck in this. Well, this is the church that I see. And that's the church you see. And we're never defaulting to an objective church outside of us. That's still standing. Mm-hmm. That's still there to give us the clarity that we can't go, you know, take our Mormon friend and go, wait a minute. Let's let's not worry about my interpretation or yours. How did the church interpret these scriptures that you're carrying around? You're carrying a King James Bible, which most I believe most Mormons still do that uh, when they're going around witnessing. But if you ask them, who put those scriptures together? This is a good question to ask anybody, including your Protestant friends. Who put those scriptures together? And if they say, well, well, yeah, I know that the, a church had to kind of compile and, and gather and kind of remove some and, 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 and ultimately have a, a final, you know, this is the final say on what they are. It's like, well, did they get the interpretation wrong then? I mean, because if they did, uh, can you trust that that's the right canon? And I think that's, that's uh, you know, something that we have to step back on and go, oh, well, wait a minute. If the church went astray and they put the books together, man, I don't really have anything. I mean, I'm going to have to go to the scholars. I have to make sure that, oh, these books are right. I got to, you know, there's so many different scholars that we can try to go to 
And you see where we end up going. We end up in the same place as the Mormon, because just like the Mormon, we've rejected the church that put the scriptures together to create the own, our own church in our head. And this puts us in a place where, again, we're not going to an objective source anymore. We have to ultimately, since we've made the decision that the church went astray, we're stuck with me, my Bible, uh, that I'm trusting in, even though should I, because the church that I, I'm not going to trust the church's interpretation of these books. And now, so I have to take that and I have to maybe find some church fathers that agree with the position that I'm kind of going with and my scholars. And you see how it's still with the, you're still stuck in the church in your head. See, we, we, if we, once we take this position, we have no more objective say than the Mormon. The Mormon, yeah. you can't tell the Mormon they're objectively wrong. And I think that's the tough part. That's what I think the listeners, if you just let that sink in, it's like we don't have an objective claim to the truth. And, and that when you talk about, you know, a savvy Mormon, if they start, you know, if they listen to this podcast and they come to your door and they tell you that, I mean... They could be like, look, you don't have any more objective claim than I do. This is just your speculation, and this is ours. You know, and, and then battle, yeah. in- battle the wits at that point. It, exactly. It, it, Who's the it, smartest? <laughs> Who can bring up the most, uh, what, re- you know, quotes from this person and that scholar and that yeah. famous person and whatever? It's like, and that's what we do. We don't we do say, let's go to the church. Right. We do. I mean, I did that all the time. We, we call it quote mining. And so what you do is, you know, in addition to finding some, you know, very high, respectable scholar, which I do appreciate what they do. Um, you use them as like your, your counterpart. And then you go find a couple of church fathers and you pull quotes and you combine them together. And that becomes your premise of the argument in which your, your claim is to be true. Um, you know, one of the things that I think about um, is, you know, when we talk about what happened in, in the early days of the church, the first thousand years, again, we say this is the undivided church. Oftentimes you get new ideas or proponents that might be against, you know, whether it's Christological uh, triadology, you know, where they would kind of change the, the terminology in which that ultimately would determine a, a new heresy, which ultimately led for another council that needed to be get you know met. So kind of, you know, circling back, you know, when we have an argument against uh, with somebody, we talked about this with Arius, you know, somebody comes in with scripture and what they believe to be true. Council has to come together, both West and East. All the bishops are, are in alignment in terms of what this you know argument is. They pronounce it as untrue and unbiblical and, and ahistoric. And so uh, the result of it is there is a excommunication. There is a heresy that has now been you know stamped as don't go down this path. Um, and so when we come now to modern times and let's uh, kind of going away from like Mormonism, I, I had a, a friend of mine who came to me, he said he was chatting with a uh, I think it was a FedEx driver who was coming in and they were talking about Christ- somehow the conversation got around Christianity. And this this FedEx driver says, yeah, I'm a, a monotheist. You know, I'm, I'm somebody that, you know, I, actually, he didn't say that. He said uh, his church believed that there was just one God who would basically uh, come into uh, the appearance of the Holy Spirit and um, Christ. Remember, is that what it's called? Monotheism? Yeah, right? uh, well, that's well, modalism. Modalism? Okay, modalism is when like, yeah, Christ, you know, or, or God kind of appears in different forms. You know, he'll yeah. appear as the son, he'll appear as the father, he'll appear as the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, that's what happens when you collapse person and nature, which is ultimately for our listeners. Uh, John of Damascus had a good quote about pretty much the summary of the consensus of the church that the root of all heresies was confusing 
nature and yeah. person. So, but we'll get into the consensus in a future uh, podcast. That'll be a great show. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, so this this gentleman, his his belief in the church that he went to that that had that theology. In his mind, it made perfect sense because they, they often, you know, they have really well, you know, scholarly folks that have convinced and persuaded, going back to this debate and, um, you know, class that I had back there, I think of the two together, they were able to get a good gathering of people that were, uh, you know, kind of on their side. And so when he, when he came and was speaking to my friend about this, um, I immediately thought if I was there, you know, at the end of the day, all there, all we need to address is, hey, you're just recycling a regurgitated heresy, especially if we're coming with the presupposition that there really was an undivided church, that there was an objective church that we can point back to. We can go back to the council and say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. FedEx driver, this has actually already been pronounced as a heresy um, and, and it has been condemned. This isn't so, that, you know, you're not having to go in and say, all right, let me show you where you're wrong with modalism within the scriptures, which you can. Right. We can do that. And I think there's some there's warrant in having a healthy you know, conversation with the scriptures at the end of the day. It's not a bad thing when you're forced to open up your Bible. So I'll never say that's that's like a, a terrible thing to do. But maybe we're just saving a very long winded, uh, you know, days upon days of back and forth, you know, conversations around this. When you can strictly now point back to something outside of you and say, this has already been established as untrue, ahistoric and unbiblical. Therefore, the church that you claim to be the church that you're uh, subscribing to is is not a true church. It's a false church. And it's very simple yeah. when you can point back, as opposed to what we see nowadays is you're just really arguing as best as you can with finding the scriptures that kind of support, you know, why they're wrong and why you're right. And again, not wrong to go to the scriptures, but as we know, it does become this like circular, you know, we call this circular hermeneutics, where it just it goes round and round and round. And, you know, I think there's a there's something to be said about, you know, believing that there is indeed a true established church that Christ gave the apostles who then, as we talked about in the last show, laying on the hands of these, these apostles from the bishops and their successors, you know, that they continued on with the truths. And when new heresies arise, they elaborated and talked further around what, you know, words meant um, around the Trinity, et cetera. And I think that's what becomes something that we can find assurance in is if we do believe that, but if we don't to what you're saying, it, it does become a bit problematic because now you're, you're kind of forced to argue with your, your intellect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that in the Nicene Creed, you know, you have the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, the idea that there's one church objectively outside of you and Christ has upheld his church uh, through the bishops and, and we can lean on those bishops um, as a, a divine institution of having power from Christ to give us clarity on truth, on what our the, the Bible canon is, um, or we can default to our own intellect. We can default to scholars to reconstruct it somehow because we can no longer trust the leadership of the church. And I think that's what puts us in a bind though, unfortunately. I mean, we no longer have an objective claim and when we talk about those leaving the church, those who are, uh, you know, they're very, you know, they, they like to do their studying. They like to look into to a truth claim. We're not giving them a truth claim. We're not giving our children a truth claim when we simply say, uh, this is just clear in scripture and, and that's it. No, no, we're not giving them the objective church. See, the, in the end of the day, I know this may seem offensive. We don't, we don't want to take our families to the church in our heads. 
We want to take our families to the church that Christ established objectively outside of us. Because see that it, within that church, the bishop who's who the faithful bishop, because I know there's apostates and, and there's hereticals, but they're the faithful bishops are there to guard the truth for you. To guard the truth. Guarding it means keeping out the heresy. And I know this the, the, you don't see this a lot in churches, but having somebody walk up after a sermon and somebody saying, excuse me, what the pastor just preached, I want to let everybody know was wrong. It was Nestorian. I mean, when is you the last time you ever heard that? I'll but the ever. idea of, yeah, and that's the thing. If you're a shepherd, you have to guard from the wolves. There's so many wolves. There's so many false teachings. And, and we need to put ourselves under a guardian, not a hip person who speaks really well, uh, you know, who's, who can gather a crowd. Who cares? I'd rather have somebody who's not that great of a speaker who holds to the the consensus of the church, the truth to guard my family from. And that's what, you know, it's, it's hard to think like, oh, I know, but that's kind of mean and that's kind of judgmental. But no, we have to be very, very serious about this because the scriptures, we have so many scriptures that talk about false teaching, false yeah. teachers. And how does Christ guard us? He's the great shepherd. How does he guard us, his sheep? I mean, and, and is it us just looking around? Okay, can you tell me what's the right canon? Because I, I can't trust these leaders anymore. Can you tell me what's the right truth? I mean, do, you know, should I baptize? Does baptism do anything? Does this Lord's Supper thing do anything? I, I don't know what, who to go to. I no. Especially when you have so many different views. And that that's what becomes, you know, especially when you know, I started branching out and, and looking outside of the, you know, the, the I guess the postmodern evangelical church where sacraments or sacramentology was not a, a focus of, of topic at all. It was, um, you know, everything is a bit more symbolic, but nonetheless, it, it, the emphasis wasn't on that. And then here, you know, you start looking back at the, you know, the, the earlier church and, and some of the historic writings around it, and you start to see something completely different from what you were being exposed to. I just learned now that society and church, we've grown very soft and, and we're very sensitive too. And what I mean by sensitive as a, as a culture is any push or any like challenge or critical thinking becomes very uh, much divisive and, and you're in opposition to Christ and, and, you know, your demonic, whatever the, whatever their, their pushback might be, you get a bunch of ad hominems at that point, you know, they just, they don't want to go there. And I think mm -hmm. we've just set up a culture in which even just talking like what you and I are doing, isn't like, doesn't happen very much anymore. It, it's like, we want to just kind of be content and accept that, Hey, I go to a church that has a cross on it and they're talking about Jesus. And that's enough for me. I don't want to look any further because, Hey, after service, you know, we got football. We got to go to, we got, we got to go to, we got Red Robin down the street and I'm getting, getting very hungry. And I, you know, I think church becomes just something that you just go to and it's enough to make them feel good. And again, I don't want to take away from, you know, preachers that do preach good gospel, even in those churches. But, you know, when you're not peeling back the layer and asking questions like we're doing and, you know, then, then you do have a culture where it cultivates kind of an acceptance, like normative reality in which we don't want to bother each other anymore on this topic. You know, you're, you're going too far. Uh, don't we don't need to read books, especially nowadays. No one's really reading theological books anymore. It, it's, uh, you know, we just we want our self-help quick fix and, uh, mm -hmm. and then we kind of move on. But, you know, and then going to what you're saying, like. What's the problem with that? Well, there's wolves 
and they are very crafty. They're not, no, they're not as obvious as we would wish they were, (laughs) you know? I mean, why would they be? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that Satan uses the most sincere people. And that's what's, that's what's hard, right? Because there can be somebody who loves Jesus and they really want to help the body of Christ. But unfortunately, they've been given, uh, unfortunately passed on a lie that the church that Christ established through the bishops and through, you know, from the apostles, they can't be trusted. Um, And so ultimately uh, they end up, you know, deciding themselves on what's true. And, you know, that ultimately that's their own truth claim in their head. They, they, you know, they gather up everything. And then when you, when you try to confront them on it, they just point to their scholar, right? You try to say, Hey, you know, this, this was, uh, you know, kind of Aryan in what you spoke today about Jesus. And he's like, well, so-and-so, this, you know, church leader said this. And so, you know, I, I think he was right, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell that to my congregation and there's no objective real way to say they're wrong anymore. And I think that's, that's what's sad about it. There's like this safety amongst this speculation, right? If we're all speculating, you can't say I'm wrong. I'll let you tell them what your truth is. I'll tell my congregation what my truth is. But in the end of the day, we should be free to speculate. And it's, I mean, that's, it's like, we should, I mean, this is, this is salvation we're talking about. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's okay for you to just tell them what you think, tell them what I think. I mean, and this kind of also brings the idea of where God becomes almost deistic because there's no longer a personal God, um, that's essentially leading, you know, uh, the objective church for you because that church somehow went astray. So we have to default. And when we're defaulting to all these, these scholars and everybody else, we're essentially saying without saying it, yeah, God, he didn't keep the church. He didn't, it's, it's no longer objective for us anymore. And, and really it's, you know, many listeners might say, well, I'm not going to say that, but I'm, but an atheist can look at that when we imply that there was apostasy or error and go, well, how come God couldn't keep the church? Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about him like he's so amazing and he loves us, but it's like, so we just, what did he just leave one day? I mean, he just gave you this book to fight over. That's <laughs> it. I mean, just, just drop out of the sky and say, I hope you guys figure it out. I mean, see our testimony to the world and to atheists should be, we have a strong God, an almighty God, a God who's loving and caring. And when, and when we present a God, who's like, well, we're all still trying to figure it out. I mean, Jesus loves you though but we're all starting to figure out what to tell you. That's exactly truth. I mean, I don't even know which Jesus to tell you. I mean, I just know Jesus loves you and you can have a changed life. It's like, well, people can have changed lives in other religions too. You see what happens? Our whole position just gets deconstructed more and more when you just say it out loud. Like just go tell an atheist that, yeah, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He resurrected on the third day, defeated sin, death, and the devil. But we don't really know what the doctrine is on baptism. We don't really know what the doctrine is on uh, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we don't know that. Yeah, I think it's kind of important, but yeah, I can't we'll, really tell we'll you for sure society. that that's, yeah. We'll right about it. Well, yeah. I mean, go back to the Old Testament. I mean, Elijah, you know, here's in a position where he's going against the prophets of Baal. And, you know, he uses this like, you know, pillar of fire in terms of God revealing himself as to be the true God in the midst of a, not only wood, poured over water, but just in front of all the people why these other so-called you know, prophets of their own gods have, have been exposed. And we, we are all for that story. You know, we, we clap our hands and said, yeah, that's my real true personal God who comes down as a pillar of fire and, and kind of just um, engulfs in flames to prove that he is, you know, the real God. 
And now we have, you know, in the New Testament, we go to, you know, First Timothy, where we have the pillar and ground of all truth is the church. The church is in, by means an extension of God's manifestation of the fire that came down in the time of Elijah versus the prophets, where it was so real, it was so personal, and it was so obvious that this is a true uh, God in which we can find comfort and, and we can latch on to with assurance, absolute certitude, not only in our salvation, but the continuation, the perseverance of that salvation, because as we know, we can certainly wander off and walk away. Um, and then we can get, you know, as we go into more conversations around, okay, what about baptism now? What about the Eucharist? You know, why is the first thousand years claiming X and Y about baptism, baptism be true, but now it's, it's X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, all sorts of different like variations of that. And it's so confusing, you know, what it makes it, you know, it, I guess I find more comfort knowing that I can look now and see that there, there's been something that is a, a in continuity um, with, you know, I guess the early times after the apostles kind of handed off these truths and the, and the keys, if you will. And we know that, you know, with this apostolic succession, which we can talk about in a future episode, you know, there's, it's important to, to be reminded that, that there's, God is so personal that he's going to use the Holy spirit to guide and, and to, to uh, you know, as you know, humans, we're always going to get things wrong. But collectively, via consensus, we're going to still continue on with what was been established and grounded. Again, the pillar and ground of all truth. And I think people would like to have, wouldn't they like to have that confidence that Elijah had? Especially think about uh, the people that were on Elijah's side. You know, when they saw God come down and, and you know burn this and, and kind of manifested as this all glorified, powerful, personal God, like... Imagine how you felt when you walked away when the when the episode or the scenario was over. You know, I think all the prophets they had their wrists slit and they're all bleeding and probably in pain and embarrassed a bit. (laughs) The confidence you had, like, yes, that is my God. Do you think we can have that now? Yeah, and I, I think that's we can have it in the objective church outside of us. Yes, we can be proud. Uh, of the church, when we look into it more and more and we test its claims and we look into it and we say, okay, what do I have when I take my apostasy view? Well, we've explained what you have. You should be able to test the claims of, well, what do I have if if the church didn't go astray? Do I have an objective consensus that I can lean on, that I can that I can compare my beliefs to to make sure that I'm in line with the truth? Do I have an objective objective consensus that I can show somebody else, such as a Mormon, and say with confidence that the church that Christ established that loved you said that this view of Christ being a, just a creature is wrong. He's more than a creature. You know, he's homoousios, right? Mm-hmm. He's, you know, so it, and that's, that's the wonderful thing about it. We can be proud. We can be excited because the church being a pillar and ground of truth, I mean, a pillar, I mean, something solid that we can all lean on together as the church and not argue all the time about, oh, well, I have my verses, you have your verses. No, the church had the canon, the church had their verses, and the church can be trusted outside of both of us. We don't have to argue anymore. And isn't it sad that that's what they see a lot of a lot of the world sees? You guys just fight all the time. Yeah. You know, we shouldn't fight anymore. We should go back to the church. Let's all get out of the church in our heads. Let's go back to the church that Christ established through the bishops. And there's still faithful bishops out there. And, and once we get there, you're going to see more and more why when you start getting these false teachings also out of your, uh, I should say, your diet, your spiritual diet, you start to thrive more. Because that's the thing. A lot of us, we can just settle 
because oh, it's just easy, you know, it's, it's fine, church, this is okay, what we're doing. But I don't think some of you realize out there how much those false teachings are hurting you and hindering you. I mean, that's the whole thing. If there was no, if false teaching truth did, didn't matter what you believed, didn't affect you, well, who cares? We shouldn't do this show anymore. But yeah. if false teaching does objectively hurt you, then moving under a bishop in, a faithful bishop in the in consensus, in the authority of the apostolic church uh, is definitely worth looking into. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, I was trying to think of something around, you know, just the, you know, with that uncertainty of, you know, it, l- believing that there really was no, uh, I guess, established objective church, that there was no undivided church, that the seven ecumenical councils and, and all the bishops that got together, what they came up with and concluded was really more or less the best attempt at what they thought to be true, but more or less they could still be wrong. Just having that basis or that presupposition, it really, when you think about it logically, it, it, it gives you no assurance other than what you can best craft in your head or, or the pastor that you follow in this person's head around what is truth. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove and they put you in that position where you're standing next to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon who also have their, again, their, their versions of what they believe to be true in scripture, you're back to arguing over the scriptures. And, and you, you may say, well, I have confidence. Now, at the end of the day, you may walk away saying, well, they were wrong and I'm still right. Really, I mean, you have to almost think about it. Well, you're also your presupposition around having, you know, the, the church not being, you know, established as objective and infallible. We, should, we, ought, we ought to say that a bit more, too. There has been an infallible church, not just a, a church that has been uh, consisted of, of, you know, best attempts to come up with what is true. And and ultimately, as we've grown, we've matured and we've gotten better. And so now we, we have better doctrine than we did in the year 325, right? Or back when Council of Nicaea happened, uh, you know, they, they weren't as educated and they didn't have all the tools that we do now. You know, we have Google, so we can now go look back <laughs> and be able to really understand what is actually true sound doctrine. But as scripture says, people will walk away and get their ears ditched, you know, they'll leave sound doctrine. I personally want to know, okay, where is sound doctrine so I'm not getting my ears ditched? Because again, it's not going to be as obvious that your ears are being itched. The whole point is you're going to get sucked into that movement. And before you know it, your heart is going to be hardened. You're going to not be as susceptible to you know resisting sin. In fact, you might start embracing more sin. And before you know it, you're just the, your religion is is simply a a a tag on Facebook saying you know my my religion is Christianity, and that's as far as it goes. There's no there's no walk in Christ. There's no good works anymore. Uh, you're focusing on the world. You're focusing on making as much money as you can. You're focusing on your reputation. It's all about, it really becomes a, a self-worship around you as a person and, and you become the idol. You become your own God and without even realizing it because you've, you've wandered into a doctrine of demon, which we're going to keep reiterating. It isn't going to be as obvious as we would like. We would love it if it was all just like the mega churches and the TBNs where you're seeing people kick people in the face and you know a strange fire <laughs> movement that that yeah. would be great but it all it, 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 it just isn't it's going to be it's the, i mean these false churches these false doctrines they're going to look so close to what the church looks like i mean the, the image the appearance and even how the the pastors speak but all it takes is a little leaven the leaven the whole lump and and yeah. it's and so we and we don't want to make it where it's scary like oh crap like am i eating some of the little leaven and not realizing it the beauty mm-hmm. is we can look back at that objective church. We Go read the councils. I, I would encourage people to do that. I mean, I would, I'm certainly mm-hmm. think that you would agree too. There's yeah. so much meat 
I mean, they're the ones that gave us the scriptures. I mean, they really did. They gave us the, it's not like the Bible just was just formulated under, you know, under a tree and they, somebody found it and, yeah. and did a very, uh, it was like a Joseph Smith where they also found their gold coins. I mean, sometimes we treat it as such. Yeah, we treat it <laughs> as such. But the reality is, no, it took several you know, centuries or not centuries, but several years. I, I Actually, I say that, you know, it is several centuries to, to finalize the canons of scriptures. And so we have to trust that the Holy Spirit was guiding those people to give us the Bible we have today. And so yep. with the logic, you know, kind of opening itself up to, okay, if they gave us the right scriptures and we believe they're infallibly true and they did it right, what did they also believe and confirm doctrinally? You know, if they were all saying that there was baptismal regeneration, that they were baptizing babies, then who am I in in the year 2022 to say they're wrong? And that's where the church in your head leads to, right? You just mm-hmm. come up with the scriptures that you feel like support what you believe to be true. And you and all it takes is you to compare it to, okay, it, first thousand, even up to 1500 years. And I'm just taking the baptism as a good example. Now, they're in opposition to what you believe is to be true. So who's right? And if you believe that the church is, is objective and is infallible, you can now say, hey, we don't need to necessarily argue over the scriptures. We can if you want, but let's start with the, the church that was established that gave us the scriptures. Here's what they also believed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think a good way to start closing this one out, maybe go back to the archaeologist analogy, you know, about the dinosaurs. It's like, if you remember the original Jurassic Park movie, when uh, they bring, you know, yeah, the, you know, they bring uh, the, the the doctors, archaeologists to to the island. And I think they're skeptical. They're like, what do you mean? What do you mean dinosaurs? And that scene where they first see it, they first see the dinosaurs when they're driving up and they like they see one and they're like, wow, that's a real dinosaur. I think that's the moment when we look to the church and we look at their claims and we see that it is still the pillar and ground of truth, and it hasn't gone astray. It hasn't erred, but it's been there the whole time for you, his church, because he loves you. It's like we don't have to go to the scholars to reconstruct it, to, to, to try to find it out again, because your Lord and Savior has kept it for you. And we hope that you'll have that moment, like in Jurassic Park, when they look and they're just absolutely amazed. They're like, wow, there is still one there. There's still a dinosaur. There's there's one alive. And that's what we want you to do. Don't go to the scholar trying to reconstruct the bones and saying the church went astray. Go to the actual dinosaur. Go find the conciliar bishops who are faithful, still upholding the truth, the consensus of the undivided church, because they're out there. And, and God kept them faithful. For you, I almost think of Elijah. What is that... Uh, What's the, when Elijah's after he's done, you know, doing all the, the crazy stuff in front of the prophets of Baal and he, you know, runs away and he's like, Lord, just, you know, just kill me, Lord. I, I you know, there's yeah. no, I'm the only one left who served yeah. you. And he, and God tells him there's actually, I can't remember, was it 5,000 or I don't know how many uh, recall right now, but that didn't bend the knee. It's like, God was like telling him, look, there's people that haven't bent the knee. It's like, he kept a faithful remnant and God, if he can keep a faithful remnant, back in the time of Israel. Why can't he keep his church today? I think that's probably the best way uh, we should end this. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that was good. Um, 
And, you know, again, there's so many churches, too. That's the beauty. We're also not making it sound like there's just a, there's like a remnant of churches and it's going to be hard to discover. Um, you know, we, we keep bringing up this undivided church. And I think we should do it would warrant a good episode on just what did the undivided church look like? Maybe we do a deep dive um, because I would encourage people to you know really look at the, the councils. There's seven of them. You know, many of the you know, liturgical churches, you know, they'll, they'll chant creeds, the Apostles' Creed being one of them, but they'll oftentimes also um, chant the Nicene Creed. We want to look at these things, and there's what we call canons um, of these creeds. So there's canons in Nicaea, and we would uh, uphold that they were infallibly inspired as these bishops came together to establish what was true and what was heretical. You can see that in the canon. So if you believe that to be true, that, that will just help you in your journey in searching for, you know, to be under a good church that is providing you sound doctrine um, that wouldn't lead you astray. But no, this is good. I'm excited for the, the next few ones that we have coming up. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, until next time, again, thank you for joining and listening in and, and please like and subscribe. Uh, and we will uh, look forward to your comments in the future and uh, look forward to having more guests or some guests in the future too, as we um, continue on this journey with this podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank uh, you. See you right. next time.